0: Now going into the third year of the pandemic, the latest Omicron surge is putting a heavy strain on hospitals around the country, with many hospital workers themselves testing positive, forcing them to stay home. To help with the serious staffing shortages, California is implementing a temporary and controversial new policy that allows asymptomatic healthcare workers who have tested positive to return to work immediately. This new policy is posing a lot of concerns, especially from nurse groups and unions who say that this could infect many more people. They're putting a lot of trust in these masks to keep everybody protected. For more on COVID-positive medical workers staying on the job, we'll speak to Haley Smith reporter at the LA Times. Omicron
1: is really sweeping through the population. Um, It is creating an influx of new patients in our hospitals, but it's also critically taking a lot of healthcare workers out of commission. And so that means doctors and nurses, but it's also all kinds of staff members, housekeepers, cleaning crews, people who answer the phones, even the lab workers who are processing tests. So what the California Department of Public Health decided to do was institute this temporary but sweeping policy change that allows asymptomatic healthcare workers who have tested positive for the coronavirus to return to work immediately without testing and without isolation. Some experts said this decision was a a necessary solution to this critical understaffing problem that we're having right now, but um, the decision was met pretty instantly with outrage and anger from a lot of people in the healthcare industry who said it's dangerous for workers and and potentially for the patients that they
0: treat. I mean, just on its face, it sounds like it has a lot of very, very bad potential, right? You're sending people who could be infectious right back in there to people that are very vulnerable. And you're right, right? People were describing this. People were saying, oh, you know, this is the lesser of two evils. It -hmm. is a necessity. And that is very tough to square away because understaffing in hospitals can pose an even greater risk, right? People that need that help, they're just not getting it could be even mm-hmm. more of a problem, more people dying, all that. It, it, it's very tough on that. So in all of this, I mean, they're placing a lot of trust, it seems, on masks and masking, right? Uh, yeah. That's one of the main things. And then the, I guess another part of the guidelines is, you know, they want the people, the nurses that are positive to hopefully at least only work with COVID positive people.
1: Right. I mean, that's the hope, but there's really no way to guarantee that. I mean, if you've got short staffing in a department, you're going to need whatever workers you can get. But I spoke to several nurses and healthcare workers in reporting this story. One of them told me she's seen coronavirus positive workers attending to chemo patients, women in labor, patients in the NICU. So it's certainly a scary prospect here. But to your point, I think that what hospitals are trying to do is weigh the risks here, right? Like what's worse, to be seen by an asymptomatic worker or to not be seen by anyone at all. And we've already heard about people waiting 20 hours to get into the hospitals. We've heard about ambulances being diverted away. So like you said, this may be the lesser of two evils, but it's pretty scary. I did pose the question, though, to an epidemiologist because I wanted someone smarter than me to weigh in on the science of what you just mentioned, you know, the masks. And the safety here and what the risk actually is here and he said that if a worker is asymptomatic which means they're not coughing they don't have a fever they feel perfectly normal other than this positive test and they're wearing an n95 mask and practicing all the other safety precautions that they can the risk is pretty minimal but even he said we should move away from this sort of extraordinary measure as soon as possible
0: Let's talk a little bit about what we are seeing with the Omicron variant right now. You know, we're talking about hospital systems being overloaded. And and it's not just the case mm-hmm. because so many people are going to the hospital with severe COVID infection. You know, a lot of this has to do with staff testing positive and then they have to call out, right? You got to get taken out of action mm-hmm. in there. So this is what's causing the burdens on the hospital system right now. But we are seeing still, you know, lesser of these serious infections going on.
1: That's right, and that's what's really striking about this wave compared to earlier surges of the pandemic, we are seeing fewer patients who are severely ill. This doesn't mean that people aren't dying. This doesn't mean that people aren't in the ICU or on ventilators. Um, The majority of those people are unvaccinated. So that is still happening. But yeah, the big change here is that the sort of overload in the healthcare system is really the worker shortage and not necessarily a huge flood of very ill patients. So that's kind of where we're at. And and as you referenced earlier, there have been studies and data about understaffing. And we do know that understaffing can result in more deaths, more morbidity, more accidents and errors. So it's dangerous for patients to be in a hospital where the staff is really overworked and there's not enough people there. But again, it's also like, well, how dangerous is it to be treated by an asymptomatic worker? That's the math we're trying to do.
0: I mean, this is these are policy changes are just allowing for these hospitals and hospital systems to make these adjustments if they can. You know, they've said that this should be the like the ultimate last option if mm-hmm. you need people. Um, a lot of the resistance, you said there was a lot of resistance. A lot of it's coming from uh, nursing groups, uh, unions, things like that. So it seems like they're still trying to fight this at least.
1: Absolutely. The unions are really upset about this. And the nurses that I spoke to, I mean, they're concerned. They run the gamut Some them have specific fears about passing the coronavirus on to their patients. Some healthcare workers said they're really worried that it would increase the risk to their loved ones at home. Others said it was hypocritical of the state to ask coronavirus positive staffers to report for duty after instituting a vaccine mandate that cost them workers their jobs. So there are, you know, a myriad of responses to this, but generally it's been a lot of outrage on behalf of the workers.
0: Haley Smith, reporter at the LA Times, thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Testing for coronavirus is getting a huge push recently. Health experts see at home COVID tests as a key tool in the fight against the pandemic. Starting Saturday, January 15th, people with private health insurance will be able to get reimbursed for up to eight tests per month. The administration is also encouraging insurers to create networks of preferred stores or pharmacies so that costs can be covered up front. In all of this, it's important to keep your receipts though. For those without private insurance, 500 million at-home tests will soon be available for people to request online. Despite all of this, a limited supply of tests is still a big concern. For what to know about free at-home COVID tests, we'll speak to Annie Nova, personal finance reporter at CNBC.
2: This is a big initiative to try to fight back the virus, and it has a lot to do with this, uh, the idea that if people are more regularly testing, if they have access to more tests, they'll be able to take the necessary precautions of isolating and knowing if, if they have the virus and if they're contagious. So. If you have private health insurance, you now, that's 150 million Americans, you should be able to go starting Saturday, January 15th, you should be able to go to a pharmacy or order online an at-home COVID test. As long as it's FDA approved, it'll be covered under this policy and then you can apply for reimbursement with your insurer or in some cases, the Biden administration is encouraging Company uh, insurers, sorry, health insurers, to make an option available where you don't have to pay anything up front, and it'll be the pharmacy, say CVS, who then bills the insurer.
0: And that was the, uh, you know, when they announced the administration announced these plans, everybody right away started rolling their eyes. They're like, okay, yeah, we're going to get insurance to do this, you mm-hmm. know, effectively. But that's one of the interesting parts of this. So they are offering some incentives, I guess, to the insurers. To kind of create these networks, as you mentioned, you know, whether it's a pharmacy or, or whatever, you know, certain stores that they're within their network, people can go there and, you know, I guess show their insurance card maybe and then it is no cost up front for them. And that's really key because these tests can be pretty expensive and, and the hassle of having to go through and provide receipts mm-hmm. and everything it is a big barrier for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, for sure. There was a lot of concern about that. Again, the whole objective here is to make the test way more accessible to you know break down barriers to getting the test. So if you have people having to spend, in some cases, $30 or more, people have seen prices all across the board throughout this time, especially as tests can be very hard to get. And when, when demand is really high, you see some of the prices be quite high. So if you had people always having to upfront the cost, likely it would be a problem. So hopefully there will be a lot of companies and retailers that have this option of of you being able to pick up the test and then they will bill on the back end of the insurer.
0: How much are insurers obligated to reimburse and how many tests? Because I know there's a, a number of tests per month that you can get per person.
2: So it will really depend. A lot of it, this is still to be determined, but In some cases, the insurer can cap how much they reimbursed you to $12. Whether they can do that, you're going to want to call your insurer and ask them if there's a $12 cap. It's a little bit wonky, but basically, if the insurer has given an option where you can buy the test without an upfront cost, how the Biden administration is incentivizing them to do that is they're saying you can impose this $12 cap if you allow for people to buy them without an upfront cost. So I would call your insurer and ask, is there this $12 cap? If there is, that means that if you buy a $20 test, you could still be on the hook for $8 there or the remaining cost. In -hmm. some cases, though, you will be able to get full reimbursement. So that's something you're going to want to check with your own provider. In terms of maximum, yes, you can get up to eight tests for free a month now. That is per individual. So a family of three could get 24 tests. It'll be by family size, but at least eight
0: tests a month, which is pretty good. And that's one of the tough things, too, when you're talking about obtaining these tests. You know, one of the key things that hasn't been handled by all of this is the limited availability of these tests to begin with. We've been doing some stories recently on the podcast where it's just hard to find them. One uh, Wall Street Journal report said that uh, people were buying tests on the sidewalk from people that were providing them free by their insurers so that they needed the test themselves. And they had to go through all these different mm. hurdles and hoops to get the test. So that's a tough thing. You know, you're not going to get reimbursed for any of those things. You got to make sure you have your receipt for all of this. What we're talking about right now is the program being set up for private health insurers. What about people that don't have insurance?
2: Yeah. So, really good question. So, this is a just as big of a development as the first one we talked about. Is that the Biden administration is buying over 500 million at-home COVID tests that will be soon available to all Americans, regardless of your health insurance status, whether you have health insurance, whether you're covered through Medicaid or Medicare, or if, if you don't have health insurance, you will be able to access these free COVID tests through a website, which the administration is going to be soon giving more details about. And a pretty cool feature here is you can get these tests delivered to you. So that's going to make things a lot easier for people. A lot is still to be determined. We haven't seen this website yet or exactly how it'll work, but it seems like most people will be able to get a test delivered to them.
0: There's also going to be another program providing 50 million free at-home tests to community centers and Medicare certified health clinics. So Hopefully with this influx of tests, we'll be able to kind of get things back under control. But, you know, again, it requires that availability these tests to get there. I know these test manufacturers are working overtime, constantly making these. But so that's the other issue there. But we'll see how all of this plays out. But for now, make sure to check with your insurance companies, keep those receipts, and hopefully you can get reimbursed pretty effectively. Annie Nova, personal finance reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks so much. Good luck, everyone.
0: By the end of this month, Pfizer is looking to start human trials of their Omicron-specific vaccine. A key goal of this research is going to be to compare the protections between the current formulation and one tailored to Omicron. Many are hoping for the Omicron surge to end quickly, but if it's still needed, the shot could be ready by March. For more on all this, we'll speak to Andrew Dunn, senior healthcare reporter at Business Insider.
3: This is really the promise of these new vaccines that both the group of Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna put out that are developed using a new vaccine technology, which really the potential of it is to allow for quick strain shifts. So when new variants emerge, can the vaccine be updated to be better tailored to that new variant? Pfizer and Moderna have done this with previous variants and they've ran the same fire drill with Omicron when that first started emerging right after Thanksgiving. So today, you know, talking to Pfizer's chief scientist, Michael Dolston, he told me that they're on track to get that Omicron specific coronavirus vaccine candidate into the clinic, starting human testing before the end of this month, and that should put them in good position if they, you know, to to really assess the results and be ready to roll out that vaccine tailored to the Omicron variant starting in, in around late March. So that's about what the timeline's looking like for Pfizer.
0: And it's interesting what's going on with this because you know the Delta variant came and you know was a lot more transmissible. I, we don't know all the data yet, but it did seem like people were still getting severely ill with the Omicron variant even more transmissible. But, you know, what we're hearing is that people aren't getting that severe infection or as a severe infection overall. The numbers still have to bear out. But the Pfizer CEO, you know, to that point is saying, hey, you know, we're making this. We're doing the trials. Even if we don't need it, we'll be ready with it.
3: It's more a proactive thing where they started this before really knowing if they need it or not. And they they still aren't sure. They still aren't sure even as it goes into the clinic as far as this basically goes off the current vaccines. They still provide quite good protection, particularly against hospitalization and death. So it really gets down to can an Omicron-specific shot, would that be able to boost protection and reduce all types of illness when you're thinking of symptomatic illness, mild illness? potentially even asymptomatic cases, although that's really hard to track. Could a tailored vaccine do that better? Hopefully this trial will give them some type of understanding of that. The other challenge to keep in mind here is what you were saying as far as Delta and there's been previous strains and these come up and then we have a new variant. And there's there's always the concern within Pfizer and these vaccine developers of will a new variant emerge by the time this one is ready for market? And then what do you do in that case? So part of this testing is not just testing the Omicron-specific vaccine, but comparing that to the original strain of the vaccine and seeing how both of them fare. And they're also looking at sort of a formulation. Um, it's not too clear exactly, but Albert Borla, the CEO of uh, Pfizer, he hinted at it today. They're looking at some level of formulation that, that hopefully would immunize against all these strains uh, or find some middle ground there in the formulation. So it's kind of complicated as far as they're working through all these things. I think by March, it should be simplified when Pfizer has results from these studies as far as what the best path is forward.
0: And there's one note that you put in the article that I was curious about. It said the trial is going to test, you know, both these formulations, right, comparing the other ones, the new uh, Omicron-specific one and the other formulations. But it says it's also going to be given as a fourth dose to study volunteers. So this is already people that have had the vaccine. And so this would be like their fourth booster, basically, is what they're looking at.
3: Right. And, and I think that's really indicative of, of, you know, this is kind of reading between the lines here, but also talking to Michael Dolson, the chief scientist at Pfizer, he was really emphasizing also preparing for a potential fifth wave. And he thinks that could come in the fall alongside colder weather. So when you think about that, for most Americans or most people, that could very well mean getting a fourth dose. So this trial seems to be tailored to, to answering that question instead of a boost or a primary series vaccination. And this kind of segues into this perpetual debate that's been happening over will we need annual boosters for years and years to come? And will we see strain ships and will it become like the flu vaccine? And it's really unclear. That that seems to be Pfizer's base case scenario that's evolving is that, yes, we will need annual vaccinations, annual boosters, particularly for older and more vulnerable groups.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with the development of this Omicron-specific vaccine. I did want to ask briefly real quick, because we're talking about Pfizer, They're going to get uh, in on this ultra-precise CRISPR technology, this gene editing technology. They're partnering with another company. They're paying them $300 million up front to get into all of this. And this is also going to use that same mRNA platform. They're looking at things that could deliver on liver, muscle, central nervous system diseases.
3: Yeah, this is really fascinating and really sort of at the cutting edges of science because this is around a gene editing technology called base editing where really the promise and the potential of this technology is kind of a next-generation CRISPR approach, where you can go into the genetic code of a cell and tweak a single genetic letter, turning an A to a G, for example. Um, And the premise of that is if you have a genetic disease that's caused by a mutation to a gene, go in, fix that genetic code, ultimately, hopefully cure the disease or provide transformative outcomes. So this is Pfizer's first foray into gene editing. It's really interesting. They're going with a company called Beam Therapeutics here. This work is probably still a ways away from reality. It still hasn't entered the clinic. We haven't seen actual humans being dosed yet. Some of Beam's most advanced work should get to that by the end of this year in sickle cell disease. Pfizer's not partnered on that. They're really looking at next generation technology within that. So it's, it's It's pretty cutting edge as far as using that mRNA to deliver gene editing tools into the cells to correct genetic mutations. It's pretty remarkable. It's it's a four-year research collaboration, so it'll take some time to play out, but it's a a decent-sized bet by Pfizer to that.
0: Andrew Dunn, senior healthcare reporter at Business Insider, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Don't forget to join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.